the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, a blind, weak, tortured, and humiliated Samson returns to the Lord and cries out for forgiveness and the grace to perform one last miracle. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 16, verse 22. Once again, that's Judges chapter 16, verse 22. Judges chapter 16. When last we left Samson, he was faced with a decision either to break it off or to tell Delilah everything. And Samson, when faced with that decision, decided to trust a woman who did not love him, to put his life in her hands. And that decision cost Samson everything. But the story doesn't end there. It gives an answer to a very important question. What if I've made a decision that cost me everything? Is that it? Am I done? Is God done with me? And so as we see Samson pay a horrible price for his foolishness, we'll also see the grace, mercy, and redemption of God that's available to even the worst of fools. This would seem to be the end of Samson's story. And if we, in our warped sense of justice, were writing the story, it might be. But you and I, and even Samson, don't get the last word. God does. And so we begin the rest of Samson's story in verse 22. Howbeit, in contrast to what appears to be a seemingly awful ending, it's not like Jonah's story where it just ends and it's just awful. It says, how be it, in contrast to that awful ending, the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. And that's interesting because after is not a, this is where difficulty in language comes up. People say, why do you say it's a bad translation? Can we not trust our Bible? No, we can trust our Bible. The problem is there's no English word to describe what this Hebrew phrase is trying to describe to us. The word after, it means as when. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again as when he was shaven. In other words, this isn't just about hair growing. It means something was restored to Samson's life to how it was before his hair was cut. And I believe that that was Samson's trust in the Lord. That he finally recognized that everything he'd been able to do before this horrible situation. It was all a gift from God, one that he didn't deserve, but that God had given him for a purpose, to set Israel free 
from the Philistines. Perhaps you've been a Samson kind of person. And maybe you've been grinding for a long time as a result of your sin. You need to know God hasn't cast you aside. If you repent, he will work in your life again. Your hair can begin to grow again in a spiritual sense. (laughs) God's not through with you. He's not done with you. Your life isn't over. If you'll turn back to him, God can do all sorts of wonderful things still. Maybe not the same things, but he can do other things. Verse 23. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered themselves together to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. For they said, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw Samson being paraded into town, they praised their God. For they said, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. Now, Dagon, the word Dagon means little fish. And it's likely... He got his name because he was depicted as a merman, a part fish creature, part human creature. And his priests, they wore turbans that are in the shape of a fish. There's a religious organization that wears these same hats today, but I'm not going to tell you who they are. I'll let you do studying and figure that out on your own. Dagon was a storm god. He was worshipped for the rainstorms, worshipped by seamen, and therefore he was the patron god of merchantmen and farmers. Now, if you remember, how did Samson start this war with the Philistines? Well, remember, he got all the foxes together and tied their tails and lit the torches on fire, and they ended up destroying the entire agriculture of a Philistine city. Remember that? That's how this whole war got started. That's when they sent up troops to come and get Samson. And that's when the people of Judah sent up 3,000 men to go arrest Samson. And that's when Samson came down and he killed 1,000 Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey. That's when the war started. That's when he became Israel's judge. It was over money. Love of money. And their God had restored their economy. He had restored their money. They could now live freely again, not worry about this guy and what he could do to them. And so they threw a massive feast to their God, the God of their economy. Now, feast to Dagon They are a participation event, and everyone parties hard. So it says in verse 25 that it came to pass that when their hearts were merry, when they were feeling good, when the party was at its height, that they said, you know what we can do to make this thing better? Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And so they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport. And when that was done, they set him between the pillars. Now, there are two phrases here that are translated the same exact way in the King James, made for sport, and Samson made them sport. The first phrase is actually a different word. It means to use for entertainment. So they call for Samson, bring him out for entertainment purposes. But the next phrase to make sport, that he made them sport, it means they humiliated him through dark humor. So the entertainment was wicked evil, dark humor. They thought it was funny, but clearly it was not funny for him. Now, I certainly imagine that this included physical abuse of some kind. doesn't say how long it lasted, 
But when they had had enough of their fun with him, whatever that meant, they set him off to the side between two of their innate building support columns. Now, the Philistines are so confident Samson can't do anything to hurt them that they don't even have him in chains. I know the videos show him in chains and they show these dramatic things. They don't even have him in chains. And they assign a boy to keep an eye on him, likely another slave, maybe even a Jewish slave. Verse 26, and Samson says unto the lad that held him by the hand. This is a man who killed people with the jawbone of a donkey. Now he's being held by the hand of a child. Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, suffer me. Let, again, it's hard to translate. It means let me rest. He's probably been beaten. He's definitely hurting right now. And he says, let me rest. I can't even stand up. Let me rest, he says, that I may feel the pillars whereon the house stands so I may lean, rest against them. He's so exhausted, he can't even stand up. He's in so much pain, he can't even stand up. So again, this leads me to believe he had been beaten pretty badly during their entertainment. And it's at that moment that a thought hits Samson. In verse 27, now, we need to get the context before he calls upon the Lord. Now, the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. So the five men who paid Delilah, they're all here. So all the lords of the Philistines were there. And then in addition to that, there were upon the roof of the building about 3,000 men and women, and they had all come inside when Samson was the object of their dark humor. So the place is packed. Now, the roof was often used for relaxing because of the open air in the desert climate. They still do that today in Israel. It's likely these lesser attendants came inside to mock Samson and be entertained by his humiliation. But by now, they'd return to the roof. Very likely that there's over 5,000 people here in all. And while they're all partying on, Samson prays. And Samson called unto the Lord. And he said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray you, and strengthen me, I pray you, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my eyes. Though Samson was blind and he was grinding out the rest of his life because of his sin, he had returned to the Lord. And we see evidence of that in this prayer. For Samson knew how the tabernacle worked. He was not an ignorant man. He couldn't ask God for something if he wasn't right with God. And yet here he makes two requests. Remember me, strengthen me just this once. Now God certainly had never forgotten Samson. Samson didn't think God had forgotten him. When they use that phrase, God, remember me, it's like when God remembered Noah in the flood. God had never forgotten Noah, but God began the process of clearing water off the earth. And so this word refers to how God begins to work directly in our lives again. Samson had experienced that many times in his life, and he's asking God to do that again. Work directly in my life again. I blew it, God, but please work in my life like you did before. That's request number one. And then number two, strengthen me. Rush upon me again by your spirit. Grant me great strength, please. And Samson puts a caveat. He says, only for this situation. It's all I ask. I don't want much. Just one more time. And then Samson explains his motive. That I may be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. The word avenge is actually two words there. It means to take vengeance and to punish. 
And so the phrase there at once actually means in one action, that I may in one action both get vengeance for my eyes and punish the Philistines for what they did to me. Does God answer it? Well, let's read on. Verse 29. So Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood on on which it was held up. And it says the one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then Samson cried out, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all of his might. The word there means he spread everything out. And the phrase there to grasp those pillars, it means he began to twist them. He began to hold them in his hands and he began to crush the stone and twist them. I don't know what these columns were made of, but Samson latched onto them with his bare hand, stretched himself wide and began to pull and twist the rocky substance with every ounce of strength that he had. And it says that the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death was more than they which he slew in his life. The building came crashing down. And everyone cheered and roared, yay, Samson, way to go, Samson. Or maybe not. There are three things that occur here at the end of Samson's story that we must address. Number one, Samson's prayer. There's a part of his prayer here that it almost seems like he doesn't really believe he's forgiven or that God could use him again because he says, please, God, just this one time, as if it'd be monumental for God to ever do anything in his life again. Samson does have a relationship with God. He is saved and he is going to heaven. But he's trying to relate to God legally here. And when you try to do that, it will always result in a life that doesn't experience all God has for you. I have no doubt that God could have used Samson here in a way where he could have lived and been used beyond this day. But Samson couldn't see that. The only limiter of what God could do was what Samson thought God could do. And so he just said, let's end it all here, God. The second thing we need to address is Samson's motive. Samson's motive is personal revenge. It is not God's righteous judgment. It is not fulfilling his call. It's interesting. I remember being in Sunday school when I was a kid, and they would say, Samson killed more people in his death than he ever did in his life. Like, that's a good thing. If All he ever did was make a dent in 5,000 Philistines. That's not going to do much for Israel at all. And if that's the most he'd ever made a dent into the Philistines, then certainly Samson did not have a very big impact for Israel at all. This is not a victorious statement. This is a lament by the writer of Judges. God raised him up to begin delivering Israel from the Philistines, and he didn't even make a dent. See, the problem is Samson never really moved beyond himself, never saw the bigger picture of why God set him apart. Everything was about him, even at the end, which is where we need to address this third topic, Samson's suicide. When I got older, it always disturbed me that kids in Sunday school colored pictures of a successful suicide attempt. There they have him, coloring him, pulling the columns down. That always bothered me. Samson cries out. His prayer request is, let me die with the Philistines. Listen, brothers and sisters in Christ can die in battle. Jesus said so. 
But this isn't a battle. It's Samson's way out. You see, a blind man leading Israel was something Samson couldn't fathom. Where could he go from here? Anywhere he went from here was down, lesser. What kind of life could he have? See, this was the best end Samson could see for himself, other than grinding grain in the prison of his enemy until the day he died. And Samson, when between those two choices, said, I'll rather take out of life. I'd rather die. And in this, we see Samson's lack of maturity. He'd repented. God had forgiven him. Surely God had a better plan than grinding out grain in a prison, Philistine prison house. And so when I think of Samson's situation here, I'm thought of another man who lost his sight. Another man who missed up big time and carried that reality around with him until the day he died. And yet that man carried it very differently than Samson did. The man was a man named Saul, who later we learn to call him Paul. And toward the end of his life, he still carried around his failure, his big failure, his lost eyesight, his life, in a sense, being over, the old man being dead. And this is what Paul the Apostle had to say about that. In verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was beforehand a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy from God. I obtained mercy, he says, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. As I put my faith in Christ and I began to love him more, God's grace abounded towards me, he says. And so Paul says, this is a faithful saying. This is something you can count on. And it's worthy of all acceptation. Don't ever reject this truth. And it's what is it? It's this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Whatever you've done, however badly you messed up, you did not mess up as badly as Paul did. You did not mess up as badly as Kim because you already has claimed the title chief of sinners. And Jesus came into the world to save sinners, even the chief of sinners. And God took that man who was blind and had no way forward in front of him. And he used him in a radically different way than where Paul was before, but still used him to make a great impact on those around him. Paul never returned to be the big shot he had been as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, but Jesus still used him in a powerful way. And so if you've blown it, my encouragement to you is become a Paul, not a Samson. Because if Jesus could still use the chief of sinners, he could still use you. Now, people often ask me a question, probably one of the most asked questions I get. It's definitely a top five. Is that, does someone forfeit salvation by committing suicide? And like every spiritual question, we must turn to the Bible for answers. Now, the Bible calls the taking of a life murder. It's wrong. It's sin. And it's never to be an option for the Christian. 
Jesus came that we might have life on a different level, and he can help you set your eyes on things above, even while you're suffering here. So no matter the agony you're going through, we always have hope in this life, not just in heaven, but now. That's the first thing we need to understand the Bible says about suicide. Secondly, every time we look in the Bible, there are 12 individuals in the Bible committed suicide. But every one of those who were believers, they were spiritual train wrecks. Saul is the other one that comes to mind. Spiritual train wrecks. And that is not the goal we are aiming for, guys. If you've been contemplating suicide, realize there is room spiritually in your life to grow and that growth will change your perspective on your suffering. You don't have the right perspective right now on your suffering, your pain, and your agony. So don't give in to hopelessness. You are not everything God has for you to be yet. And as you grow and give him the opportunity to grow you, you will look at your circumstance differently. The third thing we need to look from Scripture is what is salvation? Justification, our righteousness before God, is by faith alone. It is not my, by my... People make the mistake saying, yeah, but you don't have a chance to repent after you commit suicide. Yeah? Well, I'm not saved by my ability to repent of every sin I've ever committed. There are things you did in your past that you'll never remember. You'll never ask God to forgive you for. And you know what? Believers still fall short of God's standard giving into temptation and weakness, even though we don't have to. Does that mean if you don't get a chance to confess it before you die, you're going to hell? That's ridiculous. That doesn't strip our salvation away. It's why we're called to confess our sin, to restore the fellowship we have with God, not to get saved again or born again again. And thus, if a believer falls in the area of taking their own life, that does not strip them of their salvation. If you're saved... You are saved. Now, that should never be used to comfort someone who's contemplating suicide. I would never tell a person who's contemplating suicide, well, you're saved, so don't worry. Grace is never a license to sin. And I would warn that person that they're thinking like an unbeliever, not a believer. But if someone does fall in that area, it's no more the unforgivable sin than anything else. Christ died for suicide offenders like Samson and like Saul. And we know from Hebrews 11, that Samson is in heaven. Well, there's one more verse in Judges 16, and I'll close with that, and then we'll pray. But Judges 16, 31, it says that then his brethren, his family, his father had died by this point in time, his family and all the house of his father, so that those from the tribe of Dan, those from his family, they came down, and they took him and they brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the burying place of Manoah, his father. And he judged Israel 20 years. And so this actually brings us to the end of the time period of the book of Judges. Everything else we're going to cover in Judges will not go past the time period of Samson. The final judge that we'll meet will be Samuel, but we have to do Ruth first before we get to him. And I'd be saying, but okay, Pastor Roel, what are the last five chapters of Judges about? Well, there are five more chapters. But those are going to actually take us back in time to the beginning of the period of Judges, in order to show us what the spiritual climate light was like in those days. So go ahead and read those five chapters. It will give you an idea of just how dark and how ugly things were very quickly after Joshua went home to be with the Lord. Now, I just want to tell you, whatever whatever the reason may be that if you're feeling afflicted, whatever the reason may be, God wants to give you grace and mercy like he gave to Samson. 
So the only question is, will you receive it? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for that grace and mercy that's available to us. We thank you for the grace and mercy you showed to Paul, that you were abundant in grace. Oh, Lord, you just overflowed in grace towards Paul, that you would take this guy who was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, that he was someone who was looked up to by everyone, Gamaliel's prize student. Everybody knew his name. And then, Lord, he was blinded because he was so far off the path of where he was supposed to be. And you dealt with him. You judged him, Lord. You disciplined him even as you did to Samson. But Lord, Samson, who didn't really believe you could do more in his life, we thank you for the example of Paul who did. And that Paul has a different ending than Samson. One where you did use him, the chief of sinners. Lord, we're thankful for that. And we just want to say, Lord, we receive your grace. Use me. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it, Lord, but use me. Even though I failed, Lord, use me still. Take my life, what's left of it, and let it be consecrated to you. Whatever, whether it's 50 years, 60 years, 30 years, three years, three months, take what's left and spend it for your glory. God, we thank you for your grace that you will. Use them, I pray, mightily and do great things. Until you return, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.